right. How are you doing this morning? Aren't you glad you're here? Did you survive spring break? Kids home. It was good, huh? It's the last day of the rodeo, but I bet you they didn't sing hallelujah to the name of the Lord our God, huh, at the rodeo. So I'm glad you're here today. I'm excited about what I'm going to share with you. Uh, We're in this series, More Than a Name, looking at encounters that Jesus had, finding the real Jesus after 2,000 years. We're going back to right at the, the very basics of everything. And, you know, someone said, when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised about three things. One, we're going to be surprised at some of the people that are there. We're going to go like, you're here? I didn't expect that, right? All right. Then you're going to be surprised at some of the people that aren't there. Wow. Really thought they'd be here. And mostly you're just going to be surprised that you're there, right? (laughs) I made it. Whoa. So we're in heaven. Jesus is going to tell us today how you get there and a little bit about what that means and what that looks like. But he's also going to tell us something about the here and now. He's going to tell us how to really love deeply. You see, I think that there's a a secret to loving like God wants us to love. Most of us in our marriages or when we're trying to love someone and it's not going so well, what do we do? We just try harder, right? I am going to love that man if it kills me, and it probably might, right? You just feel like that. And but there's a secret to loving. How about loving those difficult people? Jesus is going to show us in this encounter today how to do that. And we see it in this encounter as a former prostitute crashes a Pharisee's party. So you know it's going to be fun, right? You know it's going to be Jesus in action and you're going to get to see him uh, and, and I love the way Jesus responds to all of these things. I want you to open your worship folder, if you will. And uh, I've got the verses there for you because it's the story. Jesus, uh, Luke paints this kind of, I mean, so well that he could just, it's almost like you can see it. It's almost a painting, the way he puts this together. And One of the things I want you to do this morning is I want you to identify yourself in the story. You'll identify with somebody to some extent in the story. I want you to identify yourself because I think the answer to where you are in the story holds the key to your future happiness, the health of your relationships, and even for some of us, our eternal destiny. So let's take a look. Are you ready? Luke 7, starting with verse 36, as we try to encounter the real Jesus. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now, let me just tell you how this works. It was common back in this time. They didn't have, you know, Netflix and Hulu, and they didn't have all that kind of stuff. I mean, they were still just at basic cable back, no, they weren't really, but... Uh, they, they, did, they didn't have any of those kind of entertainment. So when a local uh, rabbi or someone that's a teacher would come to town, they would, a prominent person uh, in the community would invite them over that had a big house and they usually had a big area in the middle of the house with 
a table. The table's usually kind of on the ground. It was kind of, you know, oriental style where they would lean in and their feet would be out the other way, but they would, and they just relaxed and talked to each other. But everyone in town was invited, not to the dinner, but they could come and stand around the edges and listen in because that was kind of the entertainment tonight, you know? And, and so they would listen in and it, to these traveling celebrities, if you will, you know, talking about politics or religion or whatever it was, and they would get to hear the conversation. So sometimes there would be hundreds of people around the edges, you know, there's the table in the middle and then all around the outside of this room, up against the walls and stuff, all these people are packed in, listening. Now, it doesn't make for like, to me, the most, you know, comfortable little quaint little dinner or anything, but this is the situation that we're in. And, and so you can kind of get the feel for that. So Luke, having set the scene, he, uh, <laughs> he talks about now the, the interruption that, that happens. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. So here's the surprise element of the story. Out of this group that's around the walls, all of a sudden working her way through, getting up close to Jesus where she's wanting to anoint his head probably with this expensive perfume, probably her life savings put into this. It was real common in this day to put it in gold or silver, jewelry or perfume. And so she's giving everything that she's got. She wants to anoint Jesus' head, but she doesn't quite get there. She starts to cry. And the, the Greek word here for cry, brecho, is rain. It, she's raining tears. I mean, she's not just crying. She's crying, I mean, just bawling. And not only that, so she, she's looking down and she's bawling and the tears are hitting the ground and she sees Jesus' feet and they haven't been washed. Usually on a journey, when you came into somebody's house because you had traveled a long way, you would wash your guest's feet. But this Pharisee, Simon, we find out his name is, he didn't do that. And so she just kneels down and as she's crying and her tears are just falling on Jesus' feet, she just begins to wipe his feet with her tears. And then she doesn't have a towel, so she pulls her hair down, which in public for the Jewish women, that's a big no-no in this day. You wore your hair up, and if you let your hair down, uh, it meant, you know, something, you know, you were immoral or loose or whatever. And, and, and um, as she lets her hair down, some of the rabbis of that day said, if a woman lets her hair down in public, you should divorce her. Can you imagine? I mean, this is how strict they were on these kind of Jewish laws and stuff. So she lets her hair down, which is like everybody probably gasps. And then she's drying his feet, wiping his feet with her hair. And then she can't wait any longer. And so she just breaks open that, that jar, that, that alabaster flask. And she begins to pour the perfume. And she's wiping that with her hair. And and all the time she starts, I mean, she starts kissing his feet 
And the word there in, in the Greek is a really intense word, katafileo. It, it's the word that's used when the prodigal son comes home and it says the father fell on him and, and katafileo began to kiss him and hold him and hug him. That's what she's doing to Jesus, feet and legs. I mean, she's just holding on for dear life. She's just, you know, kissing his feet and kissing his feet and holding on and kissing his feet. And it's in the imperfect tense, which means she's continually doing this. And what Luke's implying in the Greek is that this happened for kind of an uncomfortably long time, which I would think even a couple of seconds would be uncomfortably long time, right? But Jesus let her continue to do that. And all this time, just imagine what everybody else is thinking. Because they know who this woman is. She's been the prostitute, one of the prostitutes in the city. And so they're kind of judging this moment. And put yourself kind of in this story, in this place. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Now think about this. Could two people be more different? Here's the Pharisee. He's looked up to. Here's the woman she's looked down upon. Here's the Pharisee. Everybody, you know, holds him up as this icon. And he's, he's a church leader. She's been a street walker. He's hosting the party. She's crashing the party. You, you just look at that. And if you ask the other residents of Capernaum, the city where they were, to pick out the most pious of those two, everyone would have picked Simon. I mean, he's like the best guy in town. He is the most moral man. He's, you know, he's really highly esteemed, but not Jesus. Jesus would have picked the woman. We're going to find out why, because... You can just imagine in this day how confusing all of this was. Jesus not only picks the woman, he tells Simon the Pharisee why he picks the woman. Not that Simon wants to know right now. Right now he's just saying, who let this woman into my house? He doesn't know whether to be mad at the woman, to be mad at the servant who let them in. He's angry. Look at her, she's groveling at Jesus' feet. She's kissing him. If he was a prophet, he would know, he would know how, how bad this is. Now, it, it's interesting because the little phrase that Simon used, grammatical experts, which I'm not one of those, would call it a condition of the second class, which is an if-then statement. If Mr. Jones were rich, he wouldn't drive a cheap car with the implication that he's driving a cheap car so he must not be rich, okay? That's what he said. If Jesus were a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. But I want you to think about you in this situation. Imagine, maybe you're standing back in the corner listening or maybe you're there at the table. Would you not be just a little bit, un I mean, this is going on, it just continues. Would you be a little uncomfortable with someone that you know as a, a, you know, as a hooker in town is kissing Jesus' feet, hugging his legs, wiping his feet with her hair. It's interesting, the next verse is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible because it says Simon was thinking if he was a prophet, then he would know 
And then it says in verse 40, then Jesus answered his thoughts, which tells me if you don't want God to answer your thoughts, you better not think them, right? So here he is, he's going, if he was a prophet and he's so much more than a prophet that he just answers the thoughts that he had, which I think is pretty amazing. So it's kind of a splendid irony to me, you know. And here's what he, he says. He, he says, Simon, Jesus said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Now, the Pharisee is seething inwardly. Why does he say, I suppose? Maybe he's being sarcastic. Maybe I should have put a sarcastic bent on that. Or, or maybe he probably has Jesus there, you know, to see if he can cause him to trip up and fall. And he's thinking, is Jesus turning the tables on me? Maybe this is a trick question because it seems so straightforward, you know? I suppose, so he tries to leave himself a little out, right? But Jesus, he just says, you're right. That's the right answer. Now realize, in this day, if you owed a debt and you couldn't pay, you ended up in debtor's prison until you could pay everything back. It's still true in so many places today. When we first went to Burundi, Africa, the very first time, I went with my kids and my daughter Sarah was at the University of Oklahoma at the time, and we were in Rwanda for a conference of entrepreneurs and stuff in all of that area of Africa, but Burundi's right next door, and it's so poor. It's one of the, it's probably the poorest country in the world. It's right by Congo, and they kind of probably fight that out in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. But we, Sarah had a friend from Burundi at University of Oklahoma who had told her about the hospital in the capital city of Bujumbura where if you couldn't pay your bill, once you got well, they would put you in prison in the other side of the hospital. So one side of the hospital is to get you well, the other side is a prison. And there were literally, literally hundreds of people in this prison and they didn't feed them. If your family didn't come and bring you food or someone that had a family in the area didn't get food to you, you're just in trouble. And so she said, we've got to go there, Dad. We've got to go and see if we can liberate those people. And so I had $4,000 from you guys, which doesn't seem like very much to us, but we took it with us. And, and Claude Nikondeha, our guy there, this is when I first got to know him, and uh, I, I remember driving into Burundi, the, the driver's going like 100 miles an hour down this tiny little road, and I'm going like, man, slow down. My, my whole family is in the back seat, crammed into the back seat of this little car, and he goes, I'm so sorry, Mark. He said, I was just trying to go fast because the, the government and, and some of the guerrilla forces were shooting back and forth across this road last night. I said, speed up, man, speed up. Why are you going so slow? What's the deal? But we got there, and true enough, they were in prison. And with that $4,000, we were able to liberate hundreds of people. Now, that's not something 
that's going to last. It was a really good feeling and all those people dancing and it was amazing. We're doing some really sustainable stuff there now and I'm so excited about that. But so this is the case, this is what it's like. I mean, they're in, you'd be in debtor's prison. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. Basically, the application of his parable is pretty straightforward. The debt is sin. The debtors are sinners. God is the gracious money lender who released the men from the obligation to repay because they couldn't pay. Now here's the thing. I want you just to imagine in our day, the bank that holds your mortgage right now. Let's imagine that you're late on your mortgage and some of you are going like, I don't have to imagine that right now. But, and let's say you missed two months and the bank calls up and you see it's the bank and you don't want to answer, but I guess I better, you know, you answer. And they said, this is the president of Wells Fargo or wherever, you know. And, and I just was calling. I see you're, you're two months late. I, I know, but I promise I'm going to pay. Well, I just wanted to tell you we forgive that debt. In fact, we've decided to forgive your whole mortgage. It house is yours now. Which this happens all the time, right? No. <laughs> Can you imagine how you would feel? It's like, now, now here's the thing about when you forgive a debt. If you owed me $500 and I say, I forgive that debt, then who incurs the debt then? I do, right? I, I'm the one that has lost the $500. Well, the Bible says really clearly, written into the laws of the universe, the wages of sin are death. Death is always the result of sin. And so what Jesus is basically trying to get across in this little parable is how it's the gospel. It's what the Bible's all about. You owe a debt that you can't pay. And the wages of that debt that's, is death. Eternal death. And Jesus is going, but I will take your debt. You see, it doesn't, the debt doesn't go away just because we don't pay it. It has to be paid. It's written into the laws of God's universe. So Jesus said, I will pay it. And that's the death on the cross that he died for us. Somehow on that cross, he took our place. If we will receive that, if we will step into that, if we say, I, I received the gift that you gave me. Then he takes that. He paid that. And, and so it's so interesting that, that he's given this little thing. Both debtors are unable to pay. Both are in over their heads. And here's the thing. If you can't repay, you can't repay. Some of those people in the hospital in, in Burundi, they owed like $5. $5. And they couldn't pay. And they've been in the prison side for months and months and months and months. Others of them owed $500 and they couldn't pay. And it's the same situation. So let me ask you, who's in bigger trouble? Let's just change it to, to uh, another kind of idea. Which person is in bigger trouble? The guy who's drowning in 50 feet of water or the guy who's drowning in 500 feet of water? That's not a trick question, is it? You're going like, I don't want to be either one of those guys. Because they're drowning. That's exactly the point, you know. But what we do in America today, and this is kind of the gospel that we've come up with, is, 
Oh, <laughs> look at that poor sucker out there drowning in 500 feet of water. I'm just drowning in 50 feet of water. I'm so much better than him. You see, you, you compare, I compare, and, and it's like we're both drowning. What, is the, what does it matter how much water you're drowning in? And then the one that's drowning in 500 feet of water said, if I could just get over to where that guy's drowning in 50 feet of water, I'd feel so much better about myself. But you're still drowning. And that's really Jesus' point in this. He said, you know, you might owe 500 pieces of silver or you might owe 50, but you can't pay. You can't pay. Neither one could repay. That's the thing to keep in mind, okay? Verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. I think this is kind of amusing to me anyway, kind of funny, because I'm pretty sure when he said, look at this woman kneeling here, that Simon hadn't been able to take his eyes off the woman from the time she came in, right? And so he's been less like staring, look, what, what, what is happening? Scholars debate whether Simon's withholding of water for Jesus' feet was rude or not, or, or what he was trying to do, but probably one thing is for sure, if it had been like the high priest of Jerusalem that had come in, he would have washed his feet, anointed his head with oil. He would have done all of those things. But here's Jesus, and you know, in Jerusalem, they're ready to crucify Jesus already. This is out in the burbs, you know, out further out in some of the, the, the towns around there. And this guy, he's not sure about that yet, but he, he wants to play it cool. So he's not gonna show Jesus, you know, any of this usual stuff. He's just gonna have him in, He's going to be cool, calm, collected. He's going to kind of, you know, I mean, he doesn't want his friends to think he's gone overboard about this guy. Now I want you to think about that. Which one are you? Are you the former prostitute? Tears of gratitude just pouring out of your, uh, out of your eyes, just, just raining tears? Or are you more like Simon, kind of calm, cool, collected? Let's don't get overly, you know, into this religion thing. Kids, don't get too religious. You know, be religious. I want you to be good and go to church, but let's don't get radical and go off and, you know, do something crazy like, you know, go to Burundi. And, you know, let's, let's don't do that. Are you the Pharisee or are you the woman? All the good deeds in the world added to my sin and to your sin. It's kind of like putting, you know, I love vanilla cake frosting. How many of you like that? I love the vanilla cake frosting. You can put it on any kind of cake. But I want you to imagine. So what we do is we say, I'm going to do good works, God. I'm going to make my way to you and I'm going to earn my way to heaven. And so it's like putting vanilla frosting on dog poop. It just is. Some of you are going, I can't believe he just said that. But you're going to remember that because that's what it's like to God. He says all of our good works are like filthy rags to him. They, 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 God, look at this beautiful dog poop cake. Ugh. Vanilla frosty. You know, it's dog poop. It just is. And that's basically what this woman had come to realize is like, I can never get to God. I am a million miles away from God. But
something had happened. Here's the thing. He turned to the woman and he said to Simon, I like that he turned to the woman. So he's looking right in the woman's eyes. But he's speaking to Simon, the Pharisee still. Can you imagine this lady, she's kneeling in front of him, tears streaming down her face. You can smell the amazing, beautiful perfume that she probably spent her life savings for, wafting into the air, and and he's looking right at her. And you can just, can you imagine Jesus' look of love? He sees everything you've ever done, and he still loves you. And he still knows he's going to die for her. And he's going to die for you. And he loves us in, in, in spite of that. But he says, as he looks at the woman, he's speaking to Simon. Listen to what he says. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she's anointed my feet with this rare perfume. I tell you, her sins... And they are many. I told you he, knew, he, he saw her, right? Her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Now this woman was not forgiven because of her love. She was already forgiven. And so she showed the love. In fact, when you see that statement, I tell you her sins and they are many have been forgiven. It's the past perfect tense. And it's important to know tenses. When we went to Costa Rica for a year to study Spanish before we went to Mexico City as missionaries, I had a headache for a year because it was all about tenses and conjugating the verbs. And any of you who studied Spanish, you know that. But Greek is the same way. You, the, the verb makes a big difference. And the past perfect tense means something happened in the past And the results of that are carrying over even now to the future and into the future, to the present and into the future. Now, scholars tell us that if you really lined up chronologically what had happened, because the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, don't try to do that necessarily. They tell these stories, but they're not always in exact chronological order. They're not worrying about that. They're not trying to say, now this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And you get all of the Gospels, and some of them include stories that others didn't include. But what Bible scholars tell us is that right before this is when Jesus stood up at a great feast. And he said, come to me if you're weary and you're burdened and life has worn you out. Come to me and I will give you rest. And he goes into this amazing message about how he's going to give rest. And maybe the woman was, that's when she heard it. At some point in the past, recent past, she had stepped in to believe that Jesus was God. And her sins, which were many, were forgiven. And now she can't help it. She heard that Jesus was there and her life has already changed. But Simon, when he looks at her, he doesn't even see that she's changed. He still sees her as the same woman, but she's not the same woman anymore. Are you guilty of that? Maybe you see someone at church, they shouldn't be serving. They should. You know, we're a, a church that loves redemption stories. We love forgiveness stories. God gives all of us new starts, and I love that. I love the way he designed the universe to wake us up each morning, 
You know, why do we have to sleep? He could have made it so we didn't have to sleep. We're not going to sleep in heaven. I think he wants to give us a new start every day. Man, I messed up yesterday so bad. But today, you know, sleep, get up, it's a new start. Do you let people have new starts or do you hold it? It's important that we realize who we are in the story. So this had happened to her. And he compared her actions to Simon's inaction. As Luke translates the Lord's Aramaic into the the Greek, which is the New Testament, he places grammatical emphasis on no water, no kiss, no oil. Where you see much love, you can assume what? That there's been much forgiveness. This is a transformed life he's talking about. Now you would think Simon of all people would show this kind of love. He's a reverend of the church. I mean, he's been to seminary. He, He knows the Bible backwards. And forward, you would think this woman would avoid Jesus because, you know, he's going to judge. But see, she met the real Jesus who said, I came to seek and save the lost. What would explain the difference between the, the two of them? Training, education? No, Simon had all those. She had none of that. But she had experienced God's love on the inside. We don't know when she received it. But this verse indicates that She did. Simon, on the other hand, doesn't even know he's desperate. You see, people like Simon, they don't feel like they need grace. They analyze it. Uh, They don't request mercy. They would prefer to judge, dole out opinions, debate mercy. It wasn't that Simon couldn't have been forgiven. He just never asked to be. So in Simon's eyes, the prostitute was the one who owed 50,000 pieces of silver. Her debt was enormous to God in Simon's eyes, but he's starting to get the point in this because he's realizing, but the one who owed 50 still couldn't pay, and and that's me. A person who is forgiven little shows only little love. You can't give what you've never received. If we've never received love, how are we going to love? God or others? Maybe the first step of love is not to those around us, but receiving it from him. Understanding what that means if we have received it. Basking in it. You know, people ask me all the time, why do we sing songs at the beginning? I try to get here, you know, right at the end of all the songs so I can hear the point. Why do we sing songs? Because we're so thankful. Because we're so grateful. And, and, and you see people raising their hands and, and crying or whatever. And you're going like, oh golly. But see, that's Simon. We don't understand. But I'm so grateful you've changed my life. Jesus, look what you've done for me. I can't help but sing this prayer back to you. How do we love if we haven't been loved? The secret to loving is living loved you know a lot of people they they try to tell us how to love but only God gives us the power to do it and we so desperately need this some of you the people who should have loved you didn't the people who could have loved you wouldn't and you were left at the altar maybe you were left at the hospital on the day you were born we realize in this old world of ours, hurt 
people hurt people. And it just continues on. And Jesus is going, I came to break that. I came to break that cycle. I came to look in your eyes and see every sin that you've ever committed, even the most secret, hideous things that you've hid from everybody else. I see them and I still love you, little boy. I still love you, little girl. You're mine. And I'm paying a price for you. Take it. I, re- I step into your place. Receive it. Jesus loves you with this wild abandon. And he held nothing back. This woman got it. Verse 48, then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Again, in this passage, you see that Jesus is claiming to be God. He didn't say God forgives your sins. He says, I forgive your sins. Your sins are forgiven. Also, he allowed the woman to continue to worship. You know, some people say he was a good man. He was a prophet. A good man wouldn't let the woman do that. Even in the book of Revelation, you remember when John, the, the, the apostle, an angel came to him and he fell down and he began to worship him and the angel picked him up and said, don't worship me. Don't worship me. I'm just the messenger. Jesus didn't do that. He allowed her to worship and to continue to worship for an uncomfortably long time for some of those people. Your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And then Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go into shalom, which is a holistic. It's, it, shalom was the Garden of Eden. Shalom was what God intended it to be. He said, I want you to go into what I've intended for you to be. Yeah, there's still going to be all kinds of stuff coming at you because it's not the Garden of Eden. But go into shalom. Now, most people read this story and they would say, you hear even Bible scholars, this is the account of the immoral woman. This is Jesus and the immoral woman. It really isn't that. She's in a sense only a side element of the story. You know what this really is? It's the story of Jesus seeking a Pharisee. Because that's the whole story. He went to Simon's house. Simon said, Jesus, will you come to my house? And he said, yes, I'll come to your house. See, they accused him of being the the friend of drunkards and and tax collectors and sinners, all these people that they thought were the outcasts, but he was also the friend of respectable sinners, self-righteous sinners. He cared about Simon. The whole thing that he put together there, even as he's talking to the woman, he showed Simon a transformed life. Simon, you too are a debtor. He loved Simon. So sometimes we see in Jesus, you know, we think he was like trying to, you know, get Simon and punch him in the gut. No, he loved him. He cared about him. He was saying, Simon, even if you just owe 50, you can't pay either. You're drowning in 50 feet of water right now. Now, I think the atmosphere at Simon, the Pharisee's house, was probably as toxic to Jesus as a brothel. No kiss, no water no oil but he went anyway who are you in the story does it seem bizarre to you what the woman did can you not imagine yourself doing what this woman did do you realize how much he loved you how radically he loves you the price that he paid for you 
It's only when we really receive that that we can really begin to love others the way that God intended for us to do it, to forgive others. Some of you are holding a grudge right now. I just can't forgive. Do you realize what he did? Your wage, death, and he took it. It's this amazing thing that causes us to love people around us that are hard to love. Joe Bailey was a Christian leader in Chicago and he had a beautiful young son. He was just the joy of his life but as his boy grew up, got into high school, he got into drugs and the drug culture and there came a point in which his son was lost to him basically because he had gotten so into this terrible addiction. And Joe Bailey tried to do everything he could to save his son, to pull his son back, but his son was lost to him. And eventually, he got out of the house, far away. It had been years and years since Joe Bailey had had talked to his boy. Broke his heart, but he went on to live his life, you know, with his boy not in it. But he got a phone call one night at 2 o'clock, some years later, from the police station and said, we've got your son down here, you need to come down here and bail him out. And he thought that was strange because his son wouldn't even talk to him. They hadn't had no, had no relationship for over five years. He went down to the police station and when he got there, there had been some kind of mix up because they said, we don't know what you're talking about. And he said, well, somebody called me and told me, to, he said, they said, we don't know who would have called you, your son isn't here. But the police officer at the desk said, I do know where a lot of those guys hang out and it's right down here at, th- at this house on this particular street and, and maybe your son is there. Well, Joe Bailey said that he drove by that house and parked in front of it and then he got out of his car and then he started thinking, well, this is stupid. I mean, he's probably, he might be here but he wants nothing to do with me. I, But he said this little, it was like this little push inside of him. He said, go in, go in. So he said he walked into the house and there were young people all over the house, all wiped out and sleeping on the the floor and on the tables and on the furniture and, 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 you know, all drugged up. And he said he looked around and he saw his son over laying on the couch And he said he walked over and he looked down at his boy and he said his heart just welled up. This is his little boy who he loved so much sleeping there in a drugged out state on on the couch. And Joe Bailey couldn't help himself. He said he just leaned over and he kissed him on the cheek. But he knew there was nothing he could do so he just left. Joe Bailey was sharing this. He said, my son is a pastor now in the Chicago area. And he said, a few years back, he said, Daddy, do you know what, what turned me around? And he said, no, son, I, I really would love to know that because I didn't have much hope. He said, you know, you remember that night that you came into the house where I was sleeping on the couch? He said, I wasn't asleep. When you walked in, I had my eyes open and I shut them real quick because I was ashamed for you to see me like this and I didn't want to talk with you. I didn't want to have anything to do with that and so he said I just closed my eyes and you came and I felt you standing over me 
And then I felt you as you bent down and you kissed me on the cheek and you left. And he said, all night long, all I could think, if my daddy loves me this much, how much must God love me? And he said, it wasn't an immediate turnaround, of course. He said it was such a struggle to break out of that addiction, but that just kept coming to me. How much must God love me? How much must God love me? And he said, now I've experienced that for myself. He said, that's what made all the difference. See, I feel like there are people all around us that are in that same kind of place. Maybe they're not addicted to drugs. Maybe they are. But they need us just to love them unconditionally. They need a hug and a kiss. They need us to make a difference in their lives. The other thing is, we're all the little guy on the couch, aren't we? The little boy. And Jesus is bending down and he kisses us. He loves us. He cares about us. He paid the price for us. I want you just to close your eyes as we close. Where are you in the story? Have you ever stepped into what Jesus did for you? Oh, you've gone to church a lot. You tried to be good. There's no power on the inside doing that. That's called religion. Religion is not going to cut it. It's what Simon had. He was at church every week. Have you said, Jesus, what you did on the cross? I see it now. I receive it now. I step into this now. It'll change your worship. You'll want to get here early for the music. Maybe there is that grudge you're holding you realize what he did for you? Are you a believer? I can't forgive. If you're a believer, you can. If you're not, you can't. I agree with you. Become a believer and you can forgive. So, but who's going to hold him accountable? God is going to take care of it. In fact, he said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Step out of the way. Get out of my way, little boy, little girl. I'll take care of it. No, he's just going to forgive them. He might if they ask. It's going to be okay. Do you know what he's forgiven you for? Do you see how much he loves you? He's looking at you right now with his eyes of love. Saying, little boy, little girl, we can do this. I give you everything radically. I've given all of myself to you. Now receive it and love other people. Father, we need this today. Jesus, what you've done for us is beyond words. And sometimes we forget that you took death for us, that you stepped in and and, and took that. God, some of us haven't received it as our own yet. Let us do that this morning. Some of us have done that, but we've forgotten how amazing it is. And we're being stingy with our love. We're not letting it flow like that. Just open us up. Let us be just like a, a conduit of that radical, crazy kind of love. And let us show you that. Not calm, cool, and collected anymore, but on fire for you, full out in this dark world of ours. And I pray that our children would experience the same. We ask all these things in your mighty name. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God in us. Let nothing stop 
what you want to do in our lives, in our church, and in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.